everybody, welcome back to another episode of Simply Soccer. My name is Michelle Houtink, if you didn't already know. And joining me right now is uh, Chris Conway, ACB Conway. Hello, hello. How's it going? Yeah, fantastic. Thanks. And you? I'm doing very well. Enjoying a, a nice afternoon. Well, that sounds nice. Uh, Suffering from the Atlanta loss. <laughs> right? That's exactly what kind of made me dread going into uh, talking about this. But you know what? That's why we love our team through and through. And shortly, you guys, Kelly Francis will be joining us um, to, t- to talk about Atlanta. Um, so let's dive right in. Demoralizing, <laughs> to say the least, to start for LA Galaxy uh, against Atlanta. Um but before we do that, let's talk about the exciting stuff so then Kelly can join us. Uh, Pavon is... It's, it's done! It's done! Finally! Yeah, I, finally. I mean, this transfer saga has been absolutely something out of, out of a, a, a horror story, but I'm glad they got it done. I mean, Pavon is an interesting prospect. He's 23, he's... You know, he's been on the radar for the Argentine national team. He's made six appearances with the national team. He's, you know, not been necessarily, you know, influential in those games, but he's, you know, he's, he's been good. So I think, you know, I mean, like, again, he, I don't know if he necessarily fixes the problem, but he's got to be better than Boateng. He's got to be better than a lot of what we've got right now. Right. I completely agree. I, I really think that he'll be bringing in that South American play and level of not just because he's one of GBS's guys, um, but I really think that that he has a lot of the potential, and that that I think he'll fill in the number ten role and create plays for, and then maybe the Zlatan strategy feeding the ball to him could actually work. Well, GBS looks like what he's doing is building a team that was very similar to the team that he took to the Copa Libertadores final in that uh, incredibly intense and very fraught final against River. Um, I mean, bringing in a guy like Pavon, who was one of his favorites, bringing in um, uh, Fabio Alvarez, stuff like that. He's trying to build that kind of similar team. And I, I mean, it's a, it was a good enough team to get to the point where, I mean, they probably should have won the Copa Libertadores, all of the extracurriculars aside. So I can see what's going on. And again, it's this thing where I think we as Galaxy fans, we are very short-term oriented in terms of performance, but we're building something here. Like, I mean, this is, this is the first year of a three-year project and it's clear that not everything's done. Um, the latest rumors that Shkelvik might be sold to Hammerby um, in order to bring in a second striker. But this is a, this is a promising start in terms of the first two transfers that you feel that GBS and DTK really had their hands on in terms of Fabio Alvarez and Christian Pavone. I think, I mean, it, it's an exciting start, and that's what I, I, I'm, I think people should really keep in mind rather than, oh, is this it, kind of, in terms of perspective. Yeah, and I know it's hard to say with the last two seasons behind us and with Zlatan already, you know, on his second season with us, to call this another rebuild year. But that's exactly what it is, and I know that as soon as we lose, people are, like, calling for GBS to be out. Sure, maybe some of that is facetious, but I do think that there's something there's something that he's working towards here and we do have to think long term and i really think our roster is starting it's starting to be exciting and alessandrini is going to be coming back yeah and, uh, and then that's definitely going to change up that dynamic 
I think anyone who didn't think this was going to re- be a rebuilding year or like a, a quote unquote light rebuilding year was kind of a bit, you know, out of their minds because I mean, there's no question that this was going to be a rebuilding year with a completely new front office. Like they have to put their, their thumbprint on the team. And I think we're seeing, you know, a little bit of, they're trying to do their best in terms of rebuilding, but also trying to make a run at the playoffs. And it's, we're going to have road trips like this where you lose two games in a road trip that on paper, well, I mean, Portland away, probably on paper, not necessarily an easy winnable game. And then you walk into Atlanta without, you know, Polenta, without Alvarez, without Ibrahimovic. That was always going to be an uphill battle, but there were moments in that Atlanta game where, where it kind of looked good at times for the galaxy outside of the own. I mean, outside of the own goals, the penalty and the penalty, the way this, the way that, the referee handled that whole entire sequence was, was weird. Um, but I mean, there was, there was moments where you were kind of sitting there saying like, there's something building here. And I, and I know it's weird for me to be kind of sounding the, the, we should be excited alarm concerning the last two games. But I think there are starting, you're starting to see a defined ideology and a defined identity that we really hadn't seen before for the past two seasons with the galaxy, where it was just kind of, band-aid measures in order to fix whatever hole in the ship there was. Yeah. And I completely uh, agree with you on all of that and not having, cause right away when we're, ha- when we're losing games, we're thinking, Oh, fans should have a short term memory and like, just move on from those. I, I don't think that we're trying to do that instead. Um, yeah, I mean, like, for example, San Jose, right? That was one that we could forget about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's turning around and, okay, how are they, how are the Galaxy going to adjust? How are they going to respond? And seeing Pavon is definitely a, a glimmer of hope. However, I don't want to look at him as, like, some kind of savior. I think that the problem that we keep doing is that we keep looking to one individual player, whether it's Jonathan Dos Santos or um, either Alvarez or um, Pipo Gonzalez, you know, whoever we've got coming in, I want the entire team to play. Yes, we have individual talent. That's why it is so frustrating that we're losing or that our defense is still really bad. Even if we do get rid of Shelbic, it's kind of like, okay, this, then we've got new guys coming in and there's an adjustment. I don't expect them to gel right away against DC, um, which speaking of DC United, like they, they are, not playing around anymore i mean they got boatang now which good luck with that uh but but uh you know ola kamara i'd be lying if i wasn't a little salty about that well kamara kamara is a weird kind of story because well he there wasn't really a space for him on our well i mean there was probably there was probably space they could have worked it out but he got a mega money offer in china something along the lines of like three million a year or something like that of course he's gonna of course, he's going to go to China and financially secure himself. Like, that makes sense. I get it. But what happened in China with him was absolutely hor- – I mean, he never fit in. He was – he ended up training with, like, the the youth team of the Chinese club that he was at. And so, I mean, his – the journey is kind of weird, right? Because it's like you go, you make this and, – and the Chinese league is, is of a decent quality. But, I mean, it's a league that Ola Kamara should be able to fit into and play well in. And it just never happened for him there. And so he comes back. And I mean, if you're going to come back, the first club that t- is going to show interest is going to take, you're going to go for it, Right. So, I mean, I think the galaxy looked at what they have financially looked at everything and said, you know what, honestly, we'd love to make this happen, but with everything that's going on right now, we can't make that happen. 
Thank you for saying that because I just felt like, first of all, DC, even though we'll have more silverware no matter what, DC seems like they're running up to catch up, you know? And I'm just like, dude, I don't, I don't need that. And I don't need X Galaxy players scoring on us again. Oh, it's going to happen. Get used to it. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, though, side note, Brian Jordan uh, commented on Ola's uh, Instagram. He's like, your pockets seem deeper. Now. Oh, yes. Good <laughs> on him. I love him. I know. Once, once a G, always a G, Brian That's Jordan. Always a G. Yeah. Uh, no, in DC United's case, I think, I mean, obviously the the Wayne Rooney move yeah, yeah. It did come a little bit out of left field. I, and, and I'm never going to blame a guy for wanting to go home to be around his family. Like, I'm just never going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, I mean, he's he's going home to be around his family. That that I'm okay with that. Um, but they need to replace him. And Ola Kamara is that replacement. Do I think Ola Kamara delivers the same level of play and ability that Wayne Rooney brought in his season and a half with DC United? No, not at all. I don't think that I mean, they're different players in terms of style. So, you know, it, 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 if we're if we're going to talk about DC United, I mean, they're good, but I, I look at that roster and I, I, I again, questioned like outside of Wayne Rooney, do they have a guy that can change the game in all of 30 seconds? That guy was Lucho Acosta last year. It's not been, he's not been that guy this year. Right. But you know that they're, who they're looking at from Arsenal, right? Yeah. And that's what Ozil, but yeah, I mean, Ozil's going to want incredible wages. And I, I don't know if Ozil's necessarily the player that they think they're getting in terms okay. of, I mean, if you look at his tenure at Arsenal, he's never been really the guy that we all thought he was. And that's, I mean, I think it's partially down to the fact that I think he was misplayed and misused at Arsenal in terms of yeah. his skill set. But in the league where where midfielders are expected, attacking midfielders are expected to do defensive work, Ozil doesn't fit into that. And well, especially in MLS, right? Yeah, because exactly. like that's what I was exactly thinking. Like this isn't this isn't European play, and this is definitely not uh, English Premier play. And, and the way that the way that MLS, in terms of as a league, operates, and like in terms of roster building and stuff like that, two way players are a very very important thing in MLS. If you look at guys like, for example, in Atlanta, Justin Merrim, a really good two way player in terms of defensively and attacking, you know, senses. He's flourishing in this league because this league really does reward two-way players. I don't know if Futsal's a two-way player. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely it'll be exciting. We'll have to see because that's the other thing about guys like Pavon coming to the league. It's like because because it is MLS and it is a different level of play, um, you know, for better or worse, because let's be honest, like we're still we're still growing as a league. And, um, you know, at least we're signing younger guys like Pavon being 23 um, but it, it is like frustrating thing when you have these like really talented guys, guys that you've seen them doing wonderful things on, on their teams abroad or overseas. And then they come here and they suck, <laughs> you know? So, um, that said with, um, well, two things, uh, with Alessandrini, Coming back, um, you know, is he, as somebody asked uh, on Twitter, is is Alessandrini a spark off the bench, or would you have Antuna be the spark off the bench if Pavone is the player that we hope he is? Ooh, that's, that's, that's a good question. I think, I think, that's actually a really good question. I gotta, I, I, I do think about it for a second. Yeah, think about it for a second, because what, what was going through my mind was, 
I immediately wanted to start Alessandrini, right? But considering that he's injury prone, that perhaps being a spark off the bench, like a late sub, actually a power sub, I would be okay with that. Especially since Antuna, you know, he's been he's been playing really well. I I think it would be cruel if when Austin Drini comes back to drop Antuna to the bench, just considering the amount of work that Antuna has put in this season. That's what I was thinking. And and I think his he and Austin Drini play very similar games in terms of work rate and the way they cover the field. And so forth. So, I mean, they, they are very much a very similar type of player. I'd start Alessandrini just because he's been tested a little bit more than Antuna in terms of their careers, respective careers. I mean, Antuna's mm-hmm. highest league level was the Dutch league. I mean, Alessandrini, when he was on, was, I mean, bossing Lyon at uh, Marseille. So I'd, I'd almost defer to experience there. But you could almost see a rotational kind of thing where one starts one game, the other starts another game kind of thing. I almost, I almost, I almost think that's kind of the way it would shake out. Right. Right. And I, I think it is definitely building depth. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll have to see how Alessandrini does once he is back. I mean, yes, he plays with that heart and that passion that I'm freaking dying for. Um, but you know, God forbid it comes out like a situation like legit where he's just not on, not just not able to perform as well. I was surprised that we didn't move Legette this window. I, I, I was very much on the thought that Legette needs a change of scenery or a different team or something because, I mean, the way he's – when you saw him in January camp against Costa Rica and in, in the national team camp, I mean, yeah, of course, it's Costa Rica's D team and Costa Rica's going through a very <laughs> difficult time in terms of rebuilding the national team. They're, they, they're kind of stuck in between generations where – they had a really good generation that just got a little too old and they've got a very exciting young generation. It's just a little too young. So that national team that they trotted out in San Jose was, you know, kind of this weird hybrid, you know, who's going to pick up the phone kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but legit, I mean, legit was dominating that game. He was bossing it the way he looked on the ball. He was confident, whatever. And then when he came to the galaxy this season, just, I don't know what's going on, but it, it's, it's weird. Cause all that confidence of when he's on the ball, the ability that he has in traffic. Yeah. Like and that, he was definitely completely gone. Yeah, he yeah. was the spark off the bench for the for the national team. I was thrilled to see him in that in that kit again. And exactly, I was like, where is this? And and it's the same thing for the guys that were um for Jonathan Dos Santos and Antuna. I mean, Jonathan didn't really have a, a great game against Portland. Um Yeah. I mean, did anyone have a good game against Portland? Okay, well that's fair. I was thinking that when it came that's, out of my mouth, I was like, mm, you know, that's, mm. that's my that's that's my question. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like we're we're in the mid, we're in the middle of roster building, and it's difficult and it's ugly and it's not fun. But I think by the end of the season, we'll have a very clear idea of what the next two years are going to look like under DTK and GBS. Um, but I mean. Signing Pavon on a two-year loan deal is an impressive oh, amount of work. Damn like good that's, start. that's that's that's. Uh, I mean, it's what we got DTK for. Exactly. <laughs> that's 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 why you get DTK. And uh, I I I just saw uh, Paul Tenorio just released an article uh, on the Athletic that had a lot of GMs around the league expressing shock and confused or uh, confusion as to how the Galaxy manage this deal and how they keep cheating MLS rules. It's like, it's a two year loan. It's not cheating MLS rules guys. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of that, um, which that, you know, let's be fair. MLS rules 
are difficult for people who follow other leagues to understand. <laughs> they don't. That, that, that is very true. You know, they're just like, what did you do? And then, of course, they're always looking to the galaxy as either to criticize, to jump on and be like, hey, why are they always like molding the rules, the rules for you guys, whether it's Laton on the pitch or, you know, but it is what it is. Um, what, so then what's considered a success this season? Because since it is a rebuild year, I mean, it is late. If we keep losing, we won't make the playoffs. I think, I think playoffs has to be considered as the, the most ultimate consummate goal of and this season. I think LAFC again in playoffs. <laughs> well, that would, that would be wonderful. But I just, I think even just getting to the playoffs, considering the past two seasons, this has to be the goal is, is playoffs. Yeah, I'm, I'm realistic. I'm not trying to be like, oh, yeah, no, race to say it's like, yeah, let's be realistic here. Considering all the rebuilding that we're doing, uh, if we did some, you know, miraculous way win MLS Cup, I, I wouldn't really be satisfied considering how things have been going. Well, this is again, this is a league where you just have to make the playoffs and they get hot at the right time. Right. And, I mean, well, it, is, it is still a possibility, which is why I'm not ruling it out. I'm just can, saying, considering, I mean, look, problems and stuff aside and everything, people are like, well, you wouldn't be happy winning a six cup. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's, it's how we're doing it. It's kind of like how people said, like 2012, 2014, you had like two players, you know, you had Beckham and Donovan, like, or, or Robbie Keane, like carrying the cup, you know, I want well, yeah, all but, of our guys to do it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and again, we go into this whole entire thing where it's like, well, the, well, the galaxy always has a star or two that, attracts the attention and then the rest of the team kind of quietly works in the shadows. And I mean, I don't know if we necessarily have a team that's quietly working in the shadows in with Ibrahimovic, but I mean, that's a long conversation for another time. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, so, mean, we, could, we could do an entire podcast about the, the pros and cons of Ibrahimovic on the galaxy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's true. Um, and we will, let's, let's be honest, let's do this. So, um, uh, were there any other questions that people have posed to you? Because I know you posted on Instagram as well. I have, actually, I have a really good question that I, when I when I was asked it, I I was kind of a little bit taken aback, or not taken aback, just unsure what my answer was. Um, but that I've slept on, I think I have a, a decent answer. Um, so, if you could change one thing about the LA Galaxy, what would that be? Just one thing. What would it be? So for me. <laughs> I said to change the Zlatan strategy, the game plan, uh, you know, that doesn't rely on on just him, even with Pavon coming in. Again, I keep emphasizing that I want to, I want to see, I want to, I mean, look, I don't want Daniel Starris to be the one with the second leading goals here, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, um, mm-hmm. my answer was that I, I, I wanted Chris Klein to be out as president, but... Oh yeah, huh? I'm going. I, that was my first answer. <laughs> I was thinking the team because, like, I was like the whole Zlatan strategy was also giving Jonathan Dos Santos the armband instead of him. But yeah, well, I, and the whole entire thing is like if it's just one thing about the entire club, that's a pretty wide-reaching thing. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's fair. Uh, I'm gonna change that, and I'm gonna say something that's probably going to either get us a lot of lessons because it's going to be super inflammatory or whatnot. <laughs> I'd like us to get rid of Zlatan Ibrahimovic tomorrow. Okay. 
so that kind of ties in with my Zlatan strategy because. And I, and, and I say that with very clear knowledge of what he has done for the galaxy, the moments that he has given us and everything like that. I, I have yeah. no question. And there, there is no question that he has been an, an excellent servant to the club and he has done things that will go down in history with the LA galaxy. Absolutely. Especially beating L, um, LAFC. So. I mean, the, the first game he, he wrote himself into the head. That debut will, yeah, so far nothing's going to live up to that for a while. However, <laughs> there has been about, after that game, there's been about five games I can think of where Zlatan's really shown up and changed the fabric of a game. Yeah, he's, he frustrates me. He stands there. I swear he's like, was being toxic. Like, that's why I don't want him to be captain. Um, I mean, Zlatan's going to Zlatan. I get it. It's a one-man show and he's frustrated, but like, dude. I think with that roster money that we could easily distribute it through the through the roster a little bit more efficiently. And I think we could, I mean, strikers are a dime a dozen. You can find a good one. You know, I mean, like, look at Ola Kamara last year. He wasn't really that expensive. And right. Well, and actually, when, when Ola came here, I was super excited for him. Like, that's exactly what I was talking about. And I know we could have made it work, and I understand the money and everything, but I was really excited about him, and I felt like as soon as Laton got here, they didn't work with him. They didn't give him a chance. That's, I mean, yeah, sure, uh, China offered him a lot of money, but, like, what else was he supposed to do here, really? Exactly. And I, I think I think if we're, if we're going to take this to a team-building level as well, I think Ibrahimovic is always going to get the headlines, right? He's always going to be the guy that they talk about. And, and, and rightfully so. I mean, his career has earned it. He's one of only three men to have scored 500 goals for club and country. The other two, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, he's mm-hmm. he is part of that company. So, obviously, the media circus is going to be around him. I think if DTK and GBS want to focus on this, it's about the team, not the individual – then the one individual who's making that very difficult to have happen needs to go. And that's why I'm thinking if Ibrahimovic leaves tomorrow, I am at peace with it. I will thank him for his time, but I think we'll be a better off club. Yeah, I wasn't forward. And I keep saying this wasn't really on board with him coming here to begin with, because I knew that this is what was going to happen. And so that said, when Pavone gets on the pitch, stop servicing the ball, like doing crosses that they can't do. Um, yeah. Pavone's a decent crosser of the ball, so they're going to be doing that. Um, well, I mean, that's been their strategy. Like, that's yeah. not what I'm saying. But, okay, actually make the crosses then. Like, like yeah, you know, finish goals, make those crosses. That's what I want them to do. Clean it up. Tighten it up. There was, uh, There is a rumor out right now that the Galaxy are in after a second striker. Um, I'm looking up his name right now. I apologize. Um, he was playing at uh, Olympiacos in... in uh, in uh, in Greece, uh, Franco Soldado, uh, Soldano. Um, so oh, that's right, Soldano. Yeah, there could be that. Um, I I don't think it's going to happen unless uh, a Shelvick or someone leaves the roster. But I mean, that's you know, I think I think there is the thought that we have to prepare for Ibrahimovic leaving at the end of the season. I think they're starting to kind of scramble to figure that out as well. I agree. Shall we bring Kelly on? I would love to. Kelly. Hello. <laughs> yes, thank you for joining us and listening to us uh, talk about our team. Uh, so you guys, for those of you listening, Kelly Francis is for Real Sports. 
and she is fan-centric, does fan-centric stuff uh, for Atlanta United. I am staying away from the word influencer. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to dance around you guys, but... Uh, soccer you know, personality. Soccer personality. There you go. I should have just read your Twitter profile. <laughs> Everybody. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. But um, I guess uh, Christian and I will congratulate Atlanta for winning that Open Cup game. Thank you. Um, I was... Uh, willing to throw my phone across the room multiple times during that game. So as, as maybe as enjoyable as it was for people, not like me, um, Girls like ourselves. A, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was a fun win. Um, we always love to beat Orlando. It's something that we do often, but continuously enjoy. Um, and as much as there's always been this weird debate about if Orlando is our rival, uh, it, it's uh, undoubtedly that because like, like you guys understand and like LAFC understands that you guys have a rivalry, even though LAFC has never beaten you, it still doesn't matter. There's still that rivalry feeling there. So yeah, it's exactly. the same sort of thing with well, Orlando. They, they really just shove that rivalry, right? Yes. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, Orlando's not super close to us, but I can tell you that the animosity is there and that, you know, it's a mutual animosity between both teams. But at the, at the same point in time, that, that stadium, anything can happen. So I was on the edge of my seat until the final whistle. And how there was seven minutes of stoppage time, I have no idea. MLS amounts of time is what I call yeah. it. Yeah, it's a it's a weird how they figure out that that the time because I was calling it at five at max and then to see it at seven it's just one of those like where did you forget to stop the clock or did you forget to start the clock I'm unsure mm-hmm. either way it was a good win and um, uh, like I told you guys I had to go back a little bit and recap the game that we had with you guys in our stadium because you know we just recently had this one against Orlando um, I was at the game. Uh, quick quick question, though, before yeah. we talk about Galaxy. Sure. I wanted to ask you how you're feeling about Inter-Miami. Do you feel like they're going to be your guys' rivals next? No. So this is <laughs> – no. No, which is funny because the next year we've got two teams coming in MLS, right? So we've got Inter-Miami and we've got Nashville. Yeah. So to me it feels like Nashville is going to be more of a rival than Inter-Miami is, and it might feel like Orlando – now has to deal with Miami and us. Um, mm. I mean, we're still going to hate Orlando. It's just what we do. Like, mm. please don't walk around me with the color purple on game day. Like, it's just, <laughs> don't do that. Um, but, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how, now that we've got, you know, rivals next door in a northern sense, how we go about, drumming up that rivalry also because if I'm being honest, if I'm gonna do an away match to to a rivalry stadium, I'd rather I'd rather go to Nashville than Orlando. There's absolutely nothing to do in Orlando. Hey, hey, um, D- hey Disney's in Orlando. Let's let's not burn Orlando Universal. just yet. <laughs> um, Disney is in Anaheim. Let's be cons- let's like There we uh, go. <laughs> thank you. Well what do you know? I mean I I yeah, no. Uh, but uh there there are some things to do but I mean, really, if if I'm looking at a game I'd want to go to for a rivalry, it would be in Nashville because there's just better food, you know, better people. Yeah, yeah. It's just this, like, Nashville's just a better vibe. It was such a – it had such an L.A. vibe to it. 
like Memphis was like a cool place to hang out. Yeah, it's this weird like dynamic. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, once you get into like the s- sort of grit of Nashville, it's definitely Nashville. But yeah. there are pockets that are definitely influenced by other cities. It's sort of like a neat uh, multicultural place. Yeah, it is. All right. So you, lucky lady, were at the game in Atlanta. I was. I was. So that game, um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. So. That was the last one we played, so I was in the supporter section for that, and um, I got numerous amounts of beer showers. Um, <laughs> you're you're welcome for the own goals. Th- yeah, thank you. So and that PK, much. let's be honest. Well, okay, here's the funny thing about the PK is that it was on our the supporter side of the the stadium, so the goal was like right in front of our stands, and I saw I didn't see. Heinemann, which was the one who eventually got the PK. I saw Miram go down the box. And if if the Heinemann thing wasn't going to be called a PK, the Miram one looked more like a PK than the Heinemann one. But it was strange to me that Miram went down inside the box and then the ref immediately called for a PK. And so when I see something like that, I'm like, there's not something right with that because you don't immediately call for not a PK. You don't immediately call for a VAR review for something that literally just happened. Yeah. It was, it was a weird kind of thing the way it went yeah. down. Play didn't stop. Yeah. You, know? you have to, you have to make the call and then say you're going to VAR rather than just saying, Oh, I'm going to VAR regardless of call or not. Right. Right. So like that was the strangest thing to me. And so the entire time, I'm sitting here thinking that VAR just was like really quickly used and that Miram was the one who got the PK for Joseph. But I actually got back to my house that night and rewatched the entire game and realized that it was Heinemann who got the PK on a push from the back, push slash uh, touch on the back leg calf thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, <laughs> if we're talking about PKs, I mean, from the angles that they were showing on the TV, it looked like a looked like a PK, but I could see how people are like it's suspicious. So, either way, thank you for the own goals, which is funny because the last three goals that were last three goals. No, I'm sorry, excuse me. Three of the last goals we've gotten from LA teams have all been own goals, which is yeah. an interesting fact because we got one an own goal from LAFC when we played them when we went out there. Two things. Atlanta is doing the post uh, post MLS Cup win. Like they're not they're not the same team that they were um, per se. So no. so they have, they have a new manager. Of course, they're not the same team. <laughs> well, also that. But they have I mean, a drastically new manager. Like let's let's not even play around with the idea that the systems that we were using under Tata and what we now have under Frank DeBoer is a, is drastically different. So even with us missing our like few of our key guys, I still felt like we we could have won that if we hadn't screwed it up, honestly. You you for sure could have won that. I mean, you guys had a lot of clear-cut chances. Um you had one in the fourth minute where uh, and, I think it was Antuna, Al- yeah, Antuna was in on Guzan and Guzan came over yeah. pretty good save. It's it's one of these weird things where our defensive line at times is solid and then other times it's like they're not communicating. Um, and one of the biggest key issues that we've had this season is that 
it seems like every time we have somebody in the left back role, like the left wing back role, they get injured and then they're out. And so our depth on the back line has been really lax. Uh, so right now, if we lose, like, for instance, on our right back situation, Escobar is our our solid right back. Like he's our go-to guy in that area. If we lose him, we really don't have another replacement for him. So as, as much as, you know, we'd like to say that we are still the reigning MLS champs, we have a lot of issues with our back line. We have a lot of issues and attack. You know, we paid a lot of money for PT Martinez and he's an incredible player, but he's for some reason not been the same player he was at River Plate and whether that's the system that's being used or whether he's not being implemented uh, enough in, in what Frank DeBoer's vision is, then it is what it is. But it, it, yeah, Atlanta is not the same team you watched last year and we're going to be playing and on a slower pace, which is not something I prefer, but we're playing slower. We're keeping possession more, which is, uh, interesting because when you obviously when you saw Atlanta play last year, it was a lot of attack and it was a lot of um, counterattacks and it was very fast paced. Uh, one of those things where you could be at your own final third and then a missed ball and Atlanta scores, you know, like it, it was just one of those like, don't blink because you'll miss it. But at the same time, uh, so I was listening to you guys when you were talking about what you think Galaxy needs to do um, mm. for, this, the, I guess, the rest of the season and, and playoffs and then for the next two years. First off, congratulations about Pavone. That's, um, <laughs> I'm, I'll be really interested to see how they slot him in as a fourth DP, but not really. Um, <laughs> hey, it's a two-year loan deal, so it doesn't count. <laughs> God, LA Galaxy is just so good about, like, just – Looking at MLS and being like, nah, we won't follow, but we'll follow. I need, um, I need their, I need their accounting department, considering how good it is. I mean, really, really, but I, I, I agree. I think Zlatan needs to go. I, I'm on board with Michelle. I don't think him coming in general was a good idea. I can understand the logic and the system that has been in place for LA Galaxy for many, many years, where you have this big star come in and that's just sort of what LA galaxy has been doing as far as, uh, hyping for the club, keeping the same people coming back. And it's this whole identity that LA has where there always will be this huge name star. But I think MLS is changing so rapidly that when you have talent on the field that can combine and especially in a team like L.A. where you've got so much history and so much weight in the name itself, you can draw players with no problem. Absolutely no problem. But it's how you implement the players that you get and it's how you build the team. Not how you build the team to fit a player that you want to bring in just because of a name, but how you how you fit the team to be a team. And I think that's maybe where LA Galaxy is a little bit lax right now. I mean, you've got incredible talent on your team. Dos Santos is insane. Yeah, he I, tears it I up in that him. midfield usually. Yeah, I and what he does for him. Mexico makes me so mad as a U.S. fan. But, but there's got <laughs> to be some way that he is implemented 
better. I mean, uh, Scaletto knows the talent that he's got in front of him. And, you know, seeing him come in with LA Galaxy, you've had games where it's really looked like this team environment. But it's weird. It's like you guys move forward with understanding that that you all have to rest on each other's shoulders. But at the same time, there's, like, moments where, like, it is, like, Zlatan's shadow is way too fucking large. Mm-hmm. And you guys just end up standing, like all of the players end up standing behind him and not trying to stand beside him or in front of him and be and be like, you know what, Zlatan, you're great, but like we can do this without you. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, and we keep going back to that Minnesota game of how we did it without him. Yeah, it's it's an, it's an interesting quandary because, I mean, it's a guy that's 37 years old, probably has one more professional season in in him at best, but he's still Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I mean, a player of that quality doesn't come to you all the time. So it's, it's a, it's a weird kind of place to be because it's, you know, the team, the framework of what's going to come next is already built. But at the same time, you have this guy that's one of the greatest of all time. It's, it's, it, 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 it is, it is a weird place to be in as a team. Would you say, Kelly, is that why you... I mean, look, you guys sell out games regardless at Atlanta, but do you think that people were expecting to see Zlatan and that really was, like, part of it? Yeah, I think we were all expecting to see Zlatan, but I, at the same point in time, I I, I don't want to call it a conspiracy, but um, <laughs> I'm... I knew Zlatan was writing on a lot of yellows, and I knew that he, you know, said he didn't want to play on turf last year um, when he was going to go to the all-star game. So I was really interested to see if like he was going to hold his cool in the game prior and not get Mm -hmm. a yellow. So he could actually show up in Atlanta. Um, And of course, you know, he got the yellow. So in in his defense, no one on the galaxy kept their cool in Portland. Nobody did. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. That game was rough, man. (laughs) Um, So in, in a way I, I, I never really expected him to show up to that game. Um, it would have been nice because it would have obviously hyped the game a bit more. And as we could have, as, as we saw, obviously with like sort of the marketing for it, we all expected, you know, him to be there prior, but um, it would have been, it would have been really nice. I actually went back and rewatched it. Like I said, and there are a lot of moments where I, I saw crosses or I saw missed chances in front of goal with your guys, like whether they're headers or whatever. And, I, and I'm sitting here watching the game being like, man, if Zlatan was playing, he would have scored that. I mean, you guys, as, as much as, you know, we do say that a lot of this team rides behind, but they also service him. Like Zlatan's not doing it all by himself. I mean, he does no, not have, at all. Right. When they do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. When when they do when they do it right, that's exactly when Zlatan does the Zlatan things, like like against LAFC. Right. That wasn't that was not all Zlatan. That that was no. the strategy finally working. Right. I mean, the only game where I've seen Zlatan do stuff where it's like solely Zlatan is weirdly feels like only in well, so LAFC, yes, other moments, but like. There, you have those moments where he does influence a game. Like, obviously, the first game you ever guys for El Trafico, and he did that ins- insane goal that will forever be used in highlight reels. Um, <laughs> and then, obviously, his his roundabout goal, not roundabout, but, like, the popover goal oh, that he had. Oh, the karate for, chop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. chop, the karate kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> goals like that, like, th- that's obviously from his skill and his talent and him being 
who he is. Like he's undoubtedly uh, one of the best in the game. And then people will talk about him for years to come and people wear his jerseys for years to come. But there's still a point in time where like as great as a player is, you need to focus on a team mentality and focus on the other players around him and realize that, you know, what happens if Zlatan gets injured? Like, where where do you guys go from there? Like, it can't solely be based on the the building block of a player. And to Zlatan's credit, he he did coach Efrain, who's only 17 years old, and how to, like, handle the media and all the hype and everything. Because he was in front of the camera since he was 16. So I do appreciate that, you know, that there definitely is experience and I think that, that he brings, yeah. I think a lot of the Zlatan bluster that we talk about, the ego and stuff like that, is a, is a, a made-up personality that he does rather than anything that's, like, actually serious. It's yeah. Like the, it's like the Beyonce uh, factor, right? So, like, Beyonce on stage is Beyonce, or as she says, Sa- Sasha Fierce, right? So yeah, she's, yeah. A, she's a different personality on stage, right? <laughs> and so it's like you have to realize that Zlatan – knows the brand he's created so yeah it's like it's a ruse i mean i i'm i don't know the guy personally i'm sure that you know take him out of the limelight and take him out of you know being interviewed and all this stuff and he's probably really great at heart but i doesn't at this point what i'm saying is i know zlatan zlatan i know he's great i know that he's done a lot for la galaxy i know what he's done for mls and i know what he's done for soccer in general but and there's a there's a point in time where like you still can't just be the Zlatan team. Like you need to be a team that Zlatan is on. LA Galaxy and fight for that crest and that passion that that we so call for. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. All righty. <laughs> shall, I mean, shall we shall we get into the victory tour real quick for the? I would, uh, I, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking because I was like, I, I don't think there's much else to say about that that game against Atlanta except. Yeah, yeah there really isn't. Um, I mean, I could discuss it from like the Atlanta side. Uh, Justin Merrim, Justin Merrim has been a hell of a pickup for Atlanta. I will. Oh, say. I know it's amazing. I love how, it so much. How it, how it didn't work for him in Orlando it still boggles the mind. But I mean, just to pick up a player of that quality, like that's. The rich get richer. You know, so here's the thing that I th- I think that is the difference, right? So he was playing in Columbus for so long and did really well for Columbus. He obviously had these amazing years in Columbus. And then something in Columbus, I'm not entirely sure whether, whether it was a change in systems, whatever it be, but he just didn't work for Columbus anymore. So they obviously traded him to Orlando. Orlando has a particular system in the way that they play games, and they most likely were expecting a certain type of player when Miram got there, and they were putting him in a role that he maybe wasn't entirely familiar with, or not familiar with, but comfortable playing with a system and the players around him. So what I saw with Orlando is that there was a lot of pressure for Miram to be the playmaker, for him to be uh, in reference from... If I don't know if your listeners will understand because I can only reference it from Atlanta United, but uh, for Miram to be the Barco or the Pitti Martinez mm. of of Orlando, and that's just not who Miram is. Like that's just not you know what he does. And so obviously, when um, Miram 
was moved back to Columbus, there was that maybe hope that that he would slot back into the system. But I think Caleb Porter just didn't understand how to use him or how to utilize Miram within Columbus, Columbus's new format. And I think that's a shame. I don't know how we got him for as cheap as we got him for. Um, but I think one of the better things about that trade is that we knew what Miram was capable of and we knew what we needed and he fit what we needed, which is just somebody to, you know, obviously get into space, get into position on that left wing and, and slot it to the playmakers, slot it to the Barcos and to the Pities. And for you not to be as important or as necessary as those two players are in the middle of the pitch, but to provide them that access. So it's just an understanding of the player. It's an understanding of the talent that's in front of you and not putting them in something that they're uncomfortable in. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So segueing into why sometimes I'm so hard on MLS uh, for who they sign and what they bring. It's, I mean, look, it's, it's true that our, our funnel of players is going to come from other countries. And, you know, ideally, not when they're at retirement age, but um, I, that's the thing about the victory tour, especially for U.S. women um, national team. But it's, it's about growing the sport here in the U.S. And with the disappointment that, that is the men's team not qualifying for the World Cup, um, you know, at this point, it's not even about women's soccer. It's just about soccer, and it's about playing your kids and and, and growing the sport on U.S. soil um, because people are still going to, you know, even even the U.S. women, like they've gone and they've played in Europe and, and, and then they came back here, you know, um, to play for NWSL. But, you know, there's a lot of investment and things that still need to go through. But that was the theme of my stoppage time article, and that was seemed to be the theme of the victory tour it's that they're inspiring growth of the sport on u.s soil well the victory tour especially considering the news that has come out in terms of jill ellis leaving the program and you know the fact that they're going to have a g they're going to have to hire a gm to make the yeah the coaching decision that changed the victory tour for me because the victory tour has always kind of i've always seen it as this like oh just you know you know, lovely John there, you know, it's, 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 you know, the, the curtain call bow kind of, if you will. And it's just, you know, everyone has a good time. We played 60% of, of speed, you know, it's just, it's about fun. But now this victory tour has kind of taken on a bit of a different timber because it's Jill Ellis has gone at the end of the program. I mean, you have to assume that Carly Lloyd's probably gone at the end of the, at the end of the victory tour. I mean, maybe this is the last dance for Megan Rapino. Maybe this is the last dance for a lot of players. It's going to, yeah. this victory tour, I think has a little bit more in terms of, storylines in it than it is a, oh, I think previous victory tours have, have ever had because it's like this is going to be a massive transitionary year for women's soccer in the United States leading up to the Olympics next year yeah and I do think it is an opportunity for younger players to play um you know the game against Ireland Rapino and Morgan weren't weren't able to be there and that was because of injuries and then I was looking forward to Mallory Pugh Playing, but then she had to be replaced uh, by Tobin Heath, which she ended up making a goal and making a difference. She almost wasn't even going to start. So, you know, I thought it was a chance for like you know the younger players, and of course, like to see our stellar players that are that are making 
the name for for soccer in women's sports and and in the U.S. Yeah, so I'm gonna agree with like the the idea of the victory tour. So normally, especially last year, when when not last year, so with last World Cup cycle when we won, the victory tour was a celebration of the women that played it. It was a sort of jaunt around the country where it's you know you get to meet them, you get to see the stars that won the cup, uh, sorry the, the the trophy and 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 understanding and seeing the progression of women and and then really at that point in time this whole battle about equal pay started mm-hmm. right so now with this next victory tour the equal pay battle is forefront center like this is taking on the new level but. Also, at the same time, with Jill Ellis leaving, for me, that says, all right, this is the point in time where I understand that this is a victory tour, but let's see some of the players that didn't get to take the pitch, right? Let's get to see some of the players that are up and coming that will be the next stars of the next World Cup cycle. like And, I, and I, the I, Olympics, yeah. And the Olympics, and it's it's understanding that this is sort of the end of the era of the greats, right? So we had that last year with our last cycle with Wambach, when Wambach left. And it was this sort of sad feeling because she's one of the greats. And then now that we've got Carly Lloyd and, and Rapino, I'm pretty sure being their last World Cup, it's, you know, it's the last of the, of the great of that. So we need, as a, uh, as a, a nation, to understand who the next greats are going to be. You know, whether that's Mallory Pugh, whether that's Rose Lavelle, who had a great freaking tournament, whether that's uh, Megan Lewis, right? Who who do we need to see? Who do we need to become familiar with? Who do we need to start preparing ourselves for for the Olympics and for the next World Cup cycle to be in the next line of the greats? I think I think that's going to be the crux of, of these next few or at least the next year and a half for whoever gets hired as GM and the, and the new head coach, because if you look at the way that the U S women's national team at the youth level has kind of underperformed. Um, and so that's, uh, that's a concern that I think a lot of people are, are looking at saying, well, you know, we're our, our, the, the entire system is not what it used to be. And now we have, we're, we're kind of entering a, a period of very big uncertainty for the U S women's national team. And I think it's, it's, you know, this victory tour is kind of like, well, guys, enjoy the last few minutes of having any certainty about a very good national team because this could change tomorrow. So it's, yes. a, it's, a, weir- it's a weird place. Weirdly, it's like a wake-up call. I don't, I, I don't know how to explain it because I understand what you're saying, but it is one of those things where, like, the, U- the U.S. women's have always been the powerhouses. And this is one of the things that I did a lot of World Cup updates and, like, a lot of talk about the the games and like what was progressing in the women's game with the sort of underdog teams that came into this tournament with the World Cup and how a lot of countries who haven't really been on the forefront of contenders are now looked at in the next with the Olympics and the next World Cup cycle as being teams we really have to prepare ourselves for. So the interesting about that is that the World Cup for me felt like it should have been a wake-up call to every every person in the U.S. to realize that we need to step it up when it comes to the women's game here. We need to support India and the NWSL. 
Like that needs to be bigger than what it is. And the, the lack of support that those team have is absolutely atrocious. And then, then progress the women's game further with the, with the camps and with the, with the youth. Like we have been underperforming. And if we go into the next, Olymp- we go into the Olympics in the next World Cup cycle and we aren't the powerhouses again, it's, it's going to be a wake up call, but it just needs to happen now. I, I, I agree because I was sounding the alarm bell as well heading into this World Cup and I said this could be a very big wake-up call for everyone in U.S. soccer that the gap has closed. And I honestly didn't think the U.S. were going to win. I did not either. I, I looked at that roster and said, mm, I, it's relying on too many people that you know may not be able to deliver. And, and full credit um, to Jill. Actually, and, because and, she's the one who did deliver. And full credit to Jill Ellis and full credit to everyone involved in, in building that roster because they they – took a risk and the risk paid off. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the way the U S won the women's world cup, it was an, one of the most dominant performances his team has ever put up in a tournament. I think we're getting close to this period where that gap is officially shut. And the United States needs to get better about the way that they, that they, at least, you know, in terms of, of, of player or player development in the women's game has to be a little bit better about um, in terms of, you know, the, the talent pipeline, it's got to be better in terms of identifying and ensuring that that talent gets to, you know, a level that's suitable for the the expectation of the U.S. Women's National Team. I mean, that said, though, like, Jill Ellis has been a lucky coach at times. Like you said, like, we didn't think they were going to win, but that is a testament to the players on the team. Like, I, even the young players, because they are, they are being um, given a lot of advice uh, from, from, you know, the veterans on the team. Uh, but when you have like game changers like Rosabelle and like you said Mallory Pugh or whoever it's gonna be, um, I I definitely think that the U.S. women have always been up to, for the challenge, and I think that they can can carry that on, um, and that they have been. So the they they have uh-huh. been absolutely, and I I don't. I'm not doubting that the the women that will be used in the Olympics and the women that will be used in the next World Cup cycle won't be this sort of powerhouse women's team we've seen. I mean, you still have people that are going to probably be playing, right? So you're looking at Tobin mm-hmm. Heath, which is still one of the best women's soccer players I've ever Tobinia. seen. <laughs> uh, incredibly gifted on the ball, like just it's a joy to watch. And and to see her and Rapino on both sides of that pitch was a, a beautiful thing to see in this World Cup. I mean, you're still going to have Kristen Press possibly being part of the team, um, and she's extremely dangerous and wasn't used as much as as we saw in this World Cup, but came in and performed when she needed to. But you also have people like Haran, right? Uh, Dal Kemper. You've got O'Hara that's still going to be playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, Mewis, exactly. Mewis and then and, and Dunn, who Dunn, who is incredibly good on the ball and was playing a position that she's never played before in her life. Like, you gotta give it to her. Like, you there are players on this team who are youthful, who will be able to still compete the way that we think US women should compete, but you gotta look at see that the other nations are are delivering also. England is yeah. going to be the one of the huge powerhouses going in France, which was my France and pick, the Dutch, France and the Dutch. So France was my pick to win it all. And I feel like the pressure of it being in their home school got to them 
just underperformed completely in that tournament. It was sort of really sad to see. But you also have teams uh, or and, and nations that are now pouring more money into the women's game, like Italy, like Argentina, and Spain. Spain is ruthless. Oh, Spain was ruthless. They, if, they scared me. That was like the first real challenge I felt like the U.S. women had. If Spain, Spain, had, a, if Spain had a decent striker, they would have beaten the United States in that game. Hands down. Spain is going to be one of the countries you need to watch. I, I look at that team, and they are just – they know their system. They know the way they play. They have such an identity. That team is going to be insane in the Olympics. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's going to be – it's going to be interesting to see, especially this is such a big moment of transition for the U.S. Women's National Team, right? Like, this is – and I feel like this was the same way when the 99ers started to age out. Like, we are in this very – this kind of – this big transitional period. And, and I can't think of another national team program, both men's or women's, where it's just defined by certain eras of players. And so now it's time for – we have the 99ers. We have the – I guess the 19ers, if you want to – Call them that. <laughs> yeah. um, the, it would be the fifteen nineteeners. The fifteen nineteeners, yeah. So then, who's going to be the 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 twenty three ers? Um, and that's I think that's the big question. And, and and I mean, U.S. soccer has to get this GM hiring correct because if they don't get this GM hiring correct, then the head coach hiring doesn't isn't correct, and it's going to be it, it could easily be a disaster. So I it could easily, yeah. I'm waiting on bated breath, a little bit nervous. Is there a female Verhalter? Oh, no. <laughs> no, please don't. Please don't. How, how, don't put that into this. No, you put that into the universe, Michelle. You oh, no. Don't put that back. Don't put I'm that evil on Bobby. No, that was, I was, it was a joke. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, di- I'm done with the U.S. women being compared to the men's team. I'm done with it. <laughs> There's uh, just no comparison. Absolutely. There really isn't. But they still do it when they're, you know, anyways. Yeah. Maybe because it's this there, there's no comparison. When when one of the teams has won four times and one hasn't, there's there's no comparison. But okay, the attendance thing um, with the Rose Bowl. I mean, it could seat ninety one thousand, and there were thirty seven thousand. Oh, that's a good that, that's a good turnout for a game that. I think a lot of people would have written off as kind of like a meaningless game. Also, I mean, the way that U.S. The, and a the Friday way, night in Pasadena trying to get to the traffic. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, the way, the, way, the way that U.S. soccer prices things, I mean, it, it was $50 for parking. It was like, I mean, the cheapest tickets on game day were 50 bucks. It, I'm sorry, it was $50 for parking? Yes, it, it was. was. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, yeah. So I, I had taken a look. Oh, my like, God. Sure. I would have not gone on that principle alone. Exactly. So <laughs> all, all factors considering. They 30, shuttles. <laughs> 37,000 is a, is a, a it's very a good number. Turnout. Yeah. What I would also like to see, and this is one of the things that I really don't feel like is talked about enough, is I want to see the marketing numbers for the men's versus the women's. Because yeah. I can assure you the men are marketed more than the women's are. And and so when they want to complain about attendance or or complain about the numbers, you have to look back at, well, did you put an investment in your team with marketing? Because as much as you like to say it, they can't market themselves. A marketing team is still required. So whether you like to think that they can pull or not, you still have to let people know there's a game happening. And well, what, that was one yeah. of the things that the lady said is that they would roll into cities to do press and press would be like, oh, there's a game tomorrow? Like you, that's just, it's unacceptable. 
They need the coverage of champions. Yeah, they need coverage of champions. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, to be treated thusly. The soccer federation, so, I mean, I... You can't expect much, but at the same time, you have to still hold them to their own. Yeah, I mean, our federation can't get out of its own way, so expecting much out of this federation is a a futile ask. I mean, when the lead of the soccer federation, who spent the entire time in France with the women, mispronounces Megan Rapinoe's name, I I, I have no sympathy. I have no sympathy at all. Yeah, no, I I agree 110%. Agreed. Well, thank you so much, you guys. It got me really riled up. (laughs) No, I mean, hey, good. (laughs) That's what we're here for. Um, Yeah, thank you guys so much. Real quick on a final note. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Unrelated to the conversation that we just had on Amazon Prime, a series just dropped called This is Football, which covers six different stories from around the world of soccer. Uh, I just finished the first episode, which is about the Rwandan genocide and how soccer repaired the country. It's an absolutely phenomenal series. If you have any interest in soccer, whatsoever please watch it because it's absolutely incredible the second episode is on the 2011 women's world cup um and the story of japan in terms of recovering from the earthquake and then leading into that world cup it is absolutely fantastic um and i recommend that you all watch it yes i started watching it as well it is incredible so i will second that notion yeah this is a what are you watching wednesday (laughs) add-on and uh, yeah no much appreciated that's why i call this simply soccer because i i eventually would like to cover it all soccer is life so thank you guys for joining me of course it was an absolute yeah. pleasure. I'm, and, really, uh, I'm sure mm-hmm. i will see you guys in person at some point in time of course yes yes which uh, rumor has it you'll be at the bank but uh <laughs> well we'll see about that that's the hope i know i know you will i don't know christian are you still going to the bank or have you sworn it off uh if someone pops up with a ticket i might just have to go <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> Um, so, you guys, uh, next home match is August 17th against the Seattle Sounders for LA Galaxy. I will also be there, and I will be recording uh, my pod with uh, Steve Zakwani on that Sunday morning from London is where he'll be tuning what? in. Yes, yeah, so that's Zach a treat Kawani. for the listeners. I got Zakwani. That's He's incredible. been oh very God. supportive um, when I started covering for MLS Female. So, one of the second articles I had done was uh, I interviewed Jordan Morris when, when he was in the national January camp. And so, um, you know, kind of followed from there. I got friends who are in Seattle, and so I had covered the Sounders a little bit for MLS Female and got his attention, and he was super supportive um, of MLS Female, of me. And so much appreciated, you guys. Stay tuned. That's so exciting. Oh, my God, I'm so jealous. It's going to be so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. It's going to be exciting to listen to, yeah. So thanks, guys, for listening. That was your treat. So now I haven't announced anywhere else where it's going to be on. So thank you. All right. Later. Have a good one. Bye.